Welcome to Success That Last, a podcast that seeks to have honest, candid conversations about the complicated topic of success. I'm your host, Jared Siegel. I'm a partner at DeLap and leader of our wealth advisory practice. During each episode, we'll talk to a business owner, real estate investor, or industry consultant about their own experiences, observations, and insights as it pertains to that complicated topic of success. Today's conversation is with Shannon Inukai Cuffey. She's a second generation business owner of Dick's Auto Group in Hillsboro, Oregon. There's a lot of things to admire about Shannon, but what first comes to mind is how she elegantly juggles all these competing identities so elegantly. She's a wife, mother, sister, business partner, business owner, board member, and philanthropist. Like so many others that experience lasting success, Shannon's a lifelong learner that works hard to identify and honor priorities. What started as a suggestion from her brother quickly turned into a voracious appetite for new content and the consumption of books. As the dealership continued to grow, it's required Shannon to evolve as a leader. So in today's conversation, we'll be talking about some of the insights and resources that have helped her as a business leader and a business owner. And finally, we'll end our conversation discussing legacy and impact. What started off as a value passed along to Shannon from her father has quickly become a core value for the entire family. How does one use their time, influence, resources to create impact and change in the world that they can be excited about? So without further ado, let's jump into today's conversation with Shannon Inukai Cuffey. Shannon Inukai, we're live. This is a long time coming. I can't wait for today's conversation. It's been something that I've been looking forward to for months. Well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be chatting with you. I'm excited because, you know, before we jumped on this call, I was thinking about professionally, who have I known longer than anyone else in business? And uh, it might be you. Met you when I was fresh out of business school. And so much of those early years were formed by some really important special friends and clients. And you, your family, your father, they played a really important role in my life as I was transitioning from uh, academia to the real world. So Just excited to tease some of that insight out of you today. I know. I can't believe that I get to be among the privileged that have known you for the longest because the time has flown by. It has. My forehead has gotten a lot bigger over those years. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't have children when we first met. I didn't. Newly married. I had a a degree and a lot of dreams. And uh, three kids later and uh, a career or two later, just excited about uh, the opportunities that are in front of me today. It's been fun. Well, so I know all about you, but our listeners don't. So let's kind of just jump into what you're up to professionally, kind of what the family business looks like today, and then we can jump back to kind of the ins and outs that led you to this moment in time. So tell me a little bit about the family's business. So currently we have four dealerships out in Hillsboro. So it's my brother and I have been doing this for a really long time. Started in the business when I was 20 years old which seems like, I mean, that really is a lifetime ago for me. And I think originally when I started at the dealership, we had about 20 people-ish. And now with four rooftops, we have 300 employees. And so the way things, the the landscape definitely looks different. Uh, It's just my brother and I now uh, that our dad passed about nine years ago which again is hard to believe that that time has gone by so fast. 
So growing up, I know that you know, your dad and I, when, when we would visit, he would share kind of the sacrifices that he made, the good decisions that he made, and some of the tuition that he paid along the ways. But I know that he put a ton of himself in the business. So talk to me about what it was like to grow up as a child in the family business and what maybe that decision looked like as you were kind of determining what you wanted to do professionally and the exploration of whether or not the family business was the right move or not. Well, that's an interesting question because I think growing up, I don't know that I ever thought about it necessarily as a family business. I, I mean, it was more sort of what my dad did, having one dealership or working for someone else. It was basically what what he did. I don't, I don't know that we really thought of it as a family business. And then as I, uh, you know, when I graduated from high school in that place, trying to decide, okay, what, what is it that I'm going to do? And decided that going to work was probably the what I really needed to do. And dad had just opened up Dick's Country Dodge. So he was just really starting that particular business. I needed a job. He needed employees. And he gave me the opportunity to go to work for him. And so I don't know that it was ever, okay, this is, you know, I'm going to be part of the family business. But it was a natural thing for me to go work with him. And I started in the accounting office, you know, accounting back then, which I didn't know anything about accounting, but accounting back then were these, you know, three feet long ledger books that we recorded every transaction in. And that's how I learned, you know, dealership bookkeeping, if you will. Was that a good spot to learn the business? I mean, people will often say that accounting is the language of business. Do you feel like that was a good way to kind of learn the business? I think so. I mean, it gives, it's given me a lot of insight over the years, certainly. And I didn't know really anything about the business, you know, at 18, 19, 20 years old. I was 20 when I started working there. So I didn't really know anything about the car business, if you will. So it was definitely a good place to, um, learn the transactional side, the paper flow, what happens you know, when, when someone buys a car, when someone, when someone buys a part or when someone comes in and has their oil changed, all of those things, you kind there's a, there's a paper flow to that. And as you follow that, you do learn the business. That's, that's for sure. And I think, you know, dad always wanted us to learn the business from the ground up. Like he wanted us to work and every department he wanted us to fully understand the business so it wasn't the kind of he wasn't the kind of person where okay so if we go off to college we get a degree and then he's going to bring us back and we're going to be put into a management position that's not how he thought about things so he definitely believed in educating us a lot of it was on the job training but he did you know we did get formal education in you know in the auto industry as well so you just said that your father passed away. He created this opportunity for you and your brother, but more than the value of the business, he instilled values in you and Scott that have helped you be successful as owners. And so I guess, are there any specific values that you attribute to your father that have enabled you to be successful in this role and leadership within the dealership? Gosh, I mean, he was such a sort of larger than life kind of character, as you know. Honesty and integrity, those were the things that meant the most to him. He was hardworking. I, I think values that he got from his own parents. He would always say, 
never lie, steal, or cheat. Those were, that was sort of a mantra that we heard all the time. And those are things that we still say today. So tough that's, to argue. you know, tough to argue with them, right? It's just, uh, I mean, it might sound cliche, but th those are, it's important and it's kind of in a nutshell. And we always say never lie, steal or cheat from one another. So that, you know, your coworkers together as a team or from a customer. So, I mean, those values, he, when he was alive, you know, he was the culture of our business. And so when he died, it, the culture didn't die with him, but it trying to maintain that culture and keep keep those values alive. That's been it's been challenging. That that has been a challenging thing because for Scott and I, I think it was natural. Like that was easy. It was who we were. It, it's who we are. It's how we do business. It's what we learned. But you don't realize how culture is such a living, breathing thing that you have to cultivate every single day. So I'm going to be bold here and I'm going to ask you a tough, deep next question. So you just talked about the values that your father helped instill in you and you talked about him now that he's not here. If we fast forward decades and your daughter's being interviewed, what do you think she would say if I asked her what were some of the values that your mother instilled in you that have enabled you to be successful throughout your life and career? Gosh. I mean, honestly, I, I would hope that it would be the same things. I mean, if she was talking about me and the values, I would hope that it would be hardworking and honest, and philanthropic. I think those things are important. And those are things that I think we definitely learned from our dad or um, that he modeled for us in some way. And I hope that we, I hope that I have modeled those same things for my daughter. Absolutely. Well, I think you're off to a great track. Great start, right? Great start. So another question that I'd have would be, it would be very challenging for me to be in business with my sister. I love her immensely. She's super talented, but it would be challenging. But yet there's probably a chemistry there that might not be there or trust there that might not be there with somebody else. And so I was curious if you might be able to share, what's it like to be in a family business? Maybe some of the unique challenges, but more importantly, some of the unique opportunities that are afforded to you to be in business with your brother. First of all, it hasn't always been easy to be in the family business. So that, I think that's, you learn, you learn that dynamic, just like you have your own family dynamics when you, you all of that sort of comes to, comes to play when you're working with your family. And over the years, we have definitely worked hard on being in business together. And I think it's like any relationship, the two sort of foundational things have been trust and respect. And I think Scott and I have those in, in spades for one another. And that lends itself to us having a really good and strong working relationship. But it, it's not something that ever really came naturally to us. I think certainly I, I can speak for myself that definitely when I was younger, so we came up, if, if I back up a bit, we came up in the business a little bit differently. So I worked in the accounting office. He always worked in sales. Like from the time he was little, he he always knew he wanted to be in sales. That's just who who he has always been. So 
for me, it, it was different. I mean, he always describes us as, you know, he's retail and I'm detail. So one of the things that makes our relationship and our partnership so successful is that we're so different. And so we have a lot of complementary skills that help us navigate, you know, uh, navigate business in general. Um, so I, we have, we have worked with a, a family business psychologist over the years, probably, I don't know, 15 plus years we've been working with, with Dr. Ron and he has helped us. We, we started working with him when, when dad was alive. And so I, people ask me all the time, how do you, how do you work with your family? I, I'd say that's a number one thing. You got to have somebody that helps you, um, navigate those pitfalls because it's easy to the the lack of communication or falling into the pitfalls of your family can really negatively impact your business and so we've had a lot of help along the way we've created um we have like a we have a sibling partnership agreement that sort of outlines how we want to deal with one another we talk about how much time we're going to spend together as family, how much time we're going to spend together on business. Uh, we have a sister, so we, we talk about, you know, that we'll all three of us will spend time together as a family. So it, it's it's a division of, you know, this is our family business. And really, Scott and I are the only ones that are that work in the business. But we understand the fact that it that family business also impacts the rest of our family as well. So our sister who doesn't work in the business, our spouses who don't work in the business, our children, again, who don't work in the business, but this, this machine is, you know, has effect on, on all of us as, as in you guys, if you will. Absolutely. When your father passed away, the culture that he helped build lived on, but as the organization has prospered, it's gotten larger. And, and as you add new locations, that probably adds some new challenges. And so you talked about the burden of managing culture proactively. And I know that last year it was a real focus for the organization. So as you've come to understand culture, I guess, as a business leader, tell me kind of what your thoughts are about culture and what do you do to measure it and influence it in a way that aligns with the family's values and the organizational values? So one of the things that I learned maybe over this past year, I think myself, speaking only for myself, that, you know, I was in kind of a business, in a, in a rut, if you will, and had become complacent in, in ways. And we had made some business decisions that weren't really panning out had maybe not acted as quickly as we could have or should have on some issues. And so our business was in kind of a tough spot. And Scott really, really helped pull me out of that place. And he did so by he started reading all of these books. So he was consuming all of this information. And the first book that he and I could see the change in him because I was still sort of in this in this dark spot, but I could really see the change kind of every week in him as we would meet with our managers and as him and I would start to talk and he recommended this book. He was like, I'm reading, I'm listening to this book. This is kind of I could see these things happening in him. So I get my hands on this book, 
and it's the extreme ownership. I think you're familiar with that yeah, book. Little Jocko. Yeah. And so that book, I, that book really changed. It changed me. You're going to laugh. I just ordered a book. This was not by design. I don't know if you can see which that is. That is. Oh, I love it. A book by Jocko Willick for my kids, The Way of the Warrior Kid. I'm a fan I, of uh, his kids his, books his, too. Yeah. Wild that it would be sitting on my desk when you reference that, but continue. So extreme ownership. Yeah. So that book really changed me. I mean, just without knowing anything else about the book, but just really thinking about extreme ownership and really, you know, taking a hard look in the mirror about my, my role in the place we were in our business, the place I was in my life with regards to the business and, you know, owning that and then how that looked moving forward. You know, that's, uh, it was pretty powerful. I mean, I've known you for a long time and kind of caught me off guard when all of a sudden we got into a conversation and I discovered that you had this reading habit that I was unaware of until just last year where all of a sudden how many books did you read last year? I don't even know. It was I 45 to 50. It was something yeah, like something like that. Yeah, 50 was my goal. And I'm pretty sure I hit my goal. Atta I girl. definitely hit my goal. I mean, it was that's, a ton of books. That's incredible. So I guess talk to me about that. So you're sitting there and the business had been successful enough that you had grown complacent and then kind of just the day to day kind of getting a little bit worn out, maybe losing some energy for it. And then Scott reads this book that you consume and it lit a fuse in you and changed maybe mentality from more of fixed mindset to growth mindset. Explain to me what that was like, because that's a more recent energy for learning and growing from a professional development perspective, right? Yeah, it, it really changed how I thought about our business. And I think you know, we've been so blessed. I mean, I've been so blessed in my life and this business has been, it, it's been great and it's been fun and it's been, uh, it, it's been, it's provided a really great life for me and my family. And I think maybe I'd gotten to a place where I was taking it for granted and I wasn't really investing and in the business and in the people and in myself. And a lot of that, um, the books and all of that was definitely okay an investment in me you, you hear a lot about well if you're not you know if you if you're if, if, I, if i'm a plant and nobody ever you know waters me or sets me out in the sun i'm not going to live for very long and so the books felt like i needed to do that in order to change and grow and really become a leader in this business that had been so good to me and i definitely um I, I don't, I wouldn't have gotten there without my brother, that's for sure, because he definitely led the charge on that. And so then him and I were, have really been able to encourage one another and feed off of each other. Like I would find a book and I would, and I would read it. And then I would be like, Hey, have you listened to this book? And then I would, you know, then he would listen to it and he'd be like, Oh, I'm looking for a new one. So then he, you know, we would go back and forth with that. We would, we would share this, share this information with our team and a lot of, a lot of the books and so we kind of honed in on culture as a foundational piece like okay our business was you know we our business is about people we are a people business and that's you know culture is definitely about your people and so we 
we've really, I would say 2019 was definitely the year of our, our culture, but it's definitely something that we have to continue to invest in. It, it's ongoing and it's really about how we operate every single day and how we treat our employees every single day, what we find acceptable. In one of the books that I read, they said, you know, whatever you allow is what your culture becomes. So in that moment, if we see something and we don't say anything, then that becomes our culture. That becomes an acceptable action or inaction in our business. Absolutely. Yeah. I've heard that culture likened to hygiene. You know, it's just one of those things that you have to do every single day to stay healthy. I love that. Yeah. You're never done. It's just something that's always there. So culture is like every day we're going to get up and brush our teeth every day. We're going to get up and whatever it is that we're going to do every day in our business. And we've really tried to distill it down so that it's simple, you know, with those actionable things when we talk to our employees. So I'm going to put you on the spot again. So you knocked out 50 books. If you're going to say, hey, these would be two to three books that I'd encourage you to read. So I'll, I'll take one off the to do for you here. So Extreme Ownership from Jocko, that's a winning suggestion. I concur. But what would be maybe two other books that positively impacted you and the business? You know, I love um, John Gordon, The Power of a Positive Team, Power of Positive Leadership. I love those. I love uh, Atomic Habits and The Mm -hmm. Compound Effect. I feel like those two books have some similarities and some real action items, things that you really, things that you can take away and think, okay, I could, I could do this. Yeah. Well, so if I remember Atomic Habits correctly, you know, the talks about outcomes are the results of habits or actions, but those should be preceded by alignment with your identity. And so it's really about creating identity alignment. And so over the last several decades, you've become a leader and hopefully that's part of your identity today. And prior to us going live on this call, you were sharing, you know, the challenges of leading remotely here in the midst of crisis. So we're shelter in place, COVID-19. It's created a lot of challenges for our businesses, but it's also created opportunities. And so here you are trying to lead upwards to 300 people in the midst of tougher times. And you're indicating that your leadership is maybe better than you would have expected. And the team is responding better than you would have expected. So I guess, talk to me a little bit about how your leadership style has evolved and what's worked well for you. Maybe some opportunities that you had to learn along the way. Well, I think for sure that having that the year of the culture precede this was definitely a blessing for me. I think it would have been infinitely more difficult for both Scott and I to lead through this crisis had we not been on this culture journey with our team. So this past year, we've been able to put a team in place and really work together as a cohesive team. And that has, that's allowed us to navigate this crisis together. I think 
you know, one of the things we, we've always been regular meters, if you will, get together on a regular basis, you know, meet weekly with our managers, you know, all the department managers. Uh, we started meeting weekly with, you know, our executive managers. So we, we've, we've been doing that, that as a regular, you know, sort of standard operating procedure. Now, during this time, we're meeting every day, like probably a lot of people are. That's one small change that I think has really helped us that the communication piece, communicating with all of our with with all 300 employees, which we've always done really in person. And so being forced into this place where we're using technology to communicate at, at a wider range. So we've we've been doing and this is not cutting edge technology, right? We're doing conference calls, but we're doing them with all of our employees. So that's not something that we've ever done before. We've never done a, a all employee wide conference call where Scott and I are leading the conversation, answering questions, talking with all of our employees about what's happening. So those have been some things that have happened that I think have been really beneficial for our team and for all of our employees and for Scott and I to get this to elevate our own, you know, leadership skills, if you will that have been pretty well received. Again, a, a conference call isn't necessarily cutting edge technology, but for for a little auto dealership, it's not anything that we ever did before this. Well, it's important, it's communication and it's a crucial conversation. And I guess it's an opportunity for everyone to hear it straight from you and straight from Scott and eliminate the opportunity for misinterpretation. I have a question then. So when I started, the first job I had coming out of the business school was heavily focused on auto dealers. And it didn't take long for me to realize that it was dominated predominantly by men. So has it been anything in your world to be a female leader, female owner in a rather male dominated industry? Or has that never been a thing? I mean, certainly when I was younger, it was definitely a thing. I mean, not only was I definitely in the minority. So not a lot of women doing what I was doing. I spent a, a number of years as the service manager. There definitely wasn't a lot of female service managers, you know, 20 years ago. Not only was I a girl, but I was young at the time and I was the owner's daughter. I had a lot of strikes against me. And so those were hard things to navigate. There were some there was some uh, hard things in, in, in my own self-confidence, I think. So I always felt like I had to prove myself or work harder because I had those strikes against me. And those, those working harder didn't always, didn't always look good, maybe. Interesting. And I think even now, though, even now. So there's way more women in our business now. Amazing, amazing women in this business. But there are still times, and I mean, two, three months ago, I was at a manufacturer meeting and I was the only female dealer in the room. I looked around and I thought, how is it that in 2020, I'm still the only woman in this room? So that's just the reality of it. But it's certainly less, you know, I'm not the youngest now anymore. So there's that. <laughs> that happens. That happens. It does. Well, interesting. So jumping into our next topic, 
when I think about the Inukai family, one of the things that I think about is purposeful profits. It's a family that's incredibly involved in their community, a family that's very philanthropic. And so I just kind of wanted to talk to you about that family value and kind of how it was developed and how it was passed down and currently how it's integrated into not only the family, but also the business. Well, we were fortunate in that we had a good model in dad in philanthropy. He was always really involved with the Boys and Girls Club. So I think that was that was one of the things that he, he was passionate about was kids. And so uh, we've always had a connection with the Boys and Girls Club and Dick's Auto Group. And then, you know, personally, my husband and I, we, we have our causes and, and nonprofits that we feel passionate about, that we're connected to. And then we have our own family foundation. So when dad passed away, we decided that uh, one of the ways that we could just stay connected as a family and remember remember dad in, in the things that he felt so passionately about. So we started a family foundation and it really is just, it's, it's a labor of love and we give to the things that he, that we know were important to him. So we focus a lot on our own Japanese culture and giving back to other nonprofits that, that support Japanese culture and education. We also, do a lot with kids and education around children. We've also supported some things around seniors. And it's, I remember dad specifically saying, you know, kids and seniors and education, those were really things that he was passionate about. And so for Scott and Stacy and I, it's been great to be able to show our own kids what it's like to give back to the community. And actually in listening to one of your podcasts, one of the suggestions was, um, you know, about teaching the, the next generation how to give and be able to let them find their own causes and, and donate, donate that way. And I love that idea that we would be able to bring my daughter and uh, my nieces and nephews into the, fam the family foundation and have them be part of that giving piece because it's such a, it's such a great way to connect to your community and to connect to causes and people that are on your heart. Absolutely. I have a friend that will sometimes say, I've never met an unhappy, generous person. And then you start mm -hmm. to run through that list and you think, do I know any unhappy, generous people? They're generally very joyful. And it's so it's interesting when you read the psychological benefits of giving and how it's correlated with just joyful people, a sense of significance and a sense of impact that just our own business achievements alone often don't satiate that need. So when I think about the way that you and your husband give, it's more than financial, right? I see you guys give in your time, energy, effort, and influence. All of those are finite. And so there's no shortage of good causes to give to. So I guess along this giving journey, as you've explored how you allocate time, money, energy, effort, influence, how have you discovered the causes that mean the most to you so that you can really engage in a way that 
You might not if the cause doesn't totally line up with your focus. Again, it's not that there are bad causes out there. It's just causes that you're maybe more passionate about. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely no shortage of good causes out there. That's for sure. I think for me and and for Cortland, it's about the connections that we have made with people in the organizations. And then it's just about education. So having the opportunity to learn about the different giving opportunities that exist, I think that's how we've been able to decide where we want to, you know, give our time and give give our resources. It's, um, I mean, for I, I just I, I think it's about education, really, about finding those those things out there that exist that when you hear about them. That you, that you realize that your time or your resources, you know, that it would really make a difference to that organization. And giving does feel good. It for sure does. Sometimes things that others see as generous, when you're in that moment, you're conflicted. You're like, I don't know if I'm getting more than what people realize. I think people often underestimate the value and joy that comes from that sense of significance. So um, true. You just said something, and I kind of want to tease a little bit more out of what you just said. So you, you said it's about education. I guess in your own experience, how much of the education has found you versus you having to go find it? Does that make sense? It does. I mean, I think a lot of it really has found me. I mean, I've been fortunate enough that, you know, somehow I think your name gets on a list or something and people contact you and you, you know, you sit down and you you talk to them and, and you find out, you know, about their cause or about what they're doing. And, and if it speaks to you, then it's easy to get involved. And sometimes it just kind of naturally happens. I got involved with the American Heart Association and Go Red for Women. And that was just kind of a, I, I don't even remember how, that's not true. I remember I, I somebody, uh, somebody invited me to something that I was like, okay, I'll come. I went and I and I heard about it and the kind of work that they do specifically in in Portland, really, and what the money for the Go Red does here in our own, you know, in our own um, area. And that I mean, and it was that simple. That's how I got involved. And that was probably, I don't know, six or seven years ago. Awesome. That's great. Well, so I guess as we're kind of putting a bow on our conversation today, I guess the one thing I kind of wanted to know a little bit more about is an author that you and I both enjoy is Patrick Lencioni. And so one of the books that he wrote that I really enjoyed was The Advantage. And in that, he calls leadership teams to outline kind of a shorter term focus, and he calls it a thematic goal or a rallying cry. And so if I think about Dick's Auto Group and what you and Scott are focused on right now, you know, over the next three to six months, what is the organization's kind of focus or thematic goal rallying cry for the dealership in the midst of this uncertainty and this kind of pandemic crisis? That's a good question. It's it's interesting. As we talk about in this space, returning to returning to work really as things start to hopefully and potentially open back up and we get to a new normal and uh, sort of think about the remainder of the year. And we've been having those conversations with our team now because we're in that space. I really started thinking about, you know, we need to have, you know, 
three say we have three top priorities if you will that those will if we can keep it that simple for all of our employees the first the first thing that of course is our employee safety so uh, making sure that our employees stay safe healthy and feel comfortable coming back to work so that's for sure got to be the number one that's got to be the thing during this time that's going to take us into the future so that we can conquer whatever the next whatever the next hurdle is and then always in our business is the bottom line profitability so how are we going to continue to um be profitable during during this time and i think those will really be the two main things that we're focused on in the next sort of three to six months and then you know there'll be a a million little bullet points underneath each of those things but i think really those are the two things that are going to keep guiding us for the near future anyway as we continue to manage this crisis i think that's a great focus prudent well, Shannon, I really enjoyed our conversation today. We covered some awesome ideas, concepts, experiences, and I'm confident that our listeners walked away with a couple of actionable insights. So thank you for your investment in our community and just appreciate uh, what you're up to. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Shannon and Kai.